This show is made possible only by the support of the listeners. To see what you can do to help, check out the support box at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Colbert Report, The Onion Radio News, The Tom Hartman Program, The Daily Show, and The Young Turks. Nation, for years, experts have talked about the problems of the American educational system. They also wrote about them, but nobody reads. <laughs> well, in a recent study, U.S. fourth graders ranked a shameful 11th in reading scores worldwide. And when it comes to math, we rank below Latvia and Kazakhstan. <laughs> well, when you hear statistics like that, as an American, you can only have one reaction. on Obama's watch, which reminds me, American students also can't read a watch. Now, to solve this problem, the president has appointed my guest tonight, Arnie Duncan, secretary of education, and launched a multi-billion dollar program called Race to the Top. Man, that guy never stops playing the race card. Well, now, Obama has proposed his most shocking school reform initiative. President Obama says students aren't spending enough time in school. Will students benefit from a longer school day or a full school year? No summer break. No summer break? It is a cherished childhood tradition, like fireworks or losing fingers. <laughs> Clearly, this is a controversial idea. So tonight, I have brought in an expert in early childhood education, Please welcome fifth grader Andrew Gelman. Andrew, thank you so much. All right. All right, Andy. What do you think about the president's plan to make you go to school more? I'd say that makes him a poopy head. Poopy head? Really? Ad hominem attacks just course in the national debate. <laughs> But, but President Nerd wants you to go to school more. Stephen, American children continue to fall behind the rest of the world in science and math. It may not be popular, but he's just trying to secure our economic future. So, no, wait, wait a second. You, a 10-year-old boy, actually agree that you should have more school? No, but only because there are stronger economic principles at stake here. Which brings us to tonight's word. than a longer school year. Because I know that would help me catch up with kids in countries I can't even find on a map, like India or China or Narnia. <laughs> Plus, who wouldn't love more time to get more purple nurples? <laughs> but our nation faces complex economic problems that we can't solve by just throwing school at them. In fact, that would hurt the economy. The Fox and Friends know what I'm talking about. Isn't that right, blonde-haired girl who's not Steve Ducey? A lot of kids go to activities after school, so imagine what would happen to all those small businesses. 
I mean, they, they might go by the wayside if kids were suddenly going to school till later hours right. in the day and all throughout the they summer. What about summer allowance. camps? What about, I mean, this has huge ramifications. Huge ramifications. <laughs> this won't just hurt summer camps. It'll hurt every business that depends on summer vacation. Hotel chains, airlines, the creepy guy with the ice cream truck. <laughs> again, I want more school. Disney World's nice, but getting pegged in the head with a dodgeball by Danny Wallace is all the vacation I need. <laughs> but I have to think about the broader economic picture. I'm not just a student in Miss Brogen's homeroom. I'm a small businessman. I want a profitable lemonade stand. It's a $26 a year industry, but it's mostly a seasonal but it's mostly a seasonal business. You take away my summer sales, that doesn't just hurt me. It has a ripple effect throughout the entire economy. My mom might lose her job making the lemonade or her other job buying the lemonade from me. <laughs> so though it pains me to say this, because again, there is nothing I enjoy more than learning irregular Spanish verbs. <laughs> For the sake of the economy, we cannot extend the school year. In fact, we have to lengthen the summer. That's why. That's why, and I can't believe I'm saying this, I'm going on summer vacation right now. Just one month into the school year, even though it means depriving myself the joy of taking tomorrow's geography quiz while Danny Wallace flicks me in the back of the head with a ruler. Because when it comes to what's best for our nation, what you earn is more important than what we learn. is so stupid she sees letters backwards. It's the Onion Radio News. I'm Doyle Redland. According to tests conducted by school psychologists and reading teachers, Waterloo, Iowa third grader Stephanie Frank is so stupid she sees text as though it were reversed. School psychologist Francine Grunwald. When shown a flashcard that reads milk, this dimwit responds with senseless gobbledygook like klim, kilm, and iklum. Can you believe how dumb she is? Grunwald has recommended that Frank be placed in the school's retard class. Doyle Redland for The Onion Radio. Strange face with your eyes So pale and sincere Underneath you know well You have nothing to fear Duncan! 
Sorry I had to bring it so hard. You've got game. You've Thank got you very game. much. Pretty impressive. What do, um, what goals does the Obama administration have in reforming our school system? We want every child to graduate from high school. We have to dramatically reduce the dropout rate. We have to dramatically increase the graduation rate. And the president's drawn a line in the sand. He said by 2020, we have to get and lead the world in the percent of college graduates. That's the ultimate goal. Now, at no point in your answer did you use the word death panels. So Correct. I try and stay away from that one. What makes it specifically an Obama vision for the future? I mean, is, does it include reparations? Because the whole health panel... The whole health reform is actually just reparations. You know that, no, right? This isn't about uh, the death panels. It's not about reparations. This is about having high expectations for every child. It's about challenging everyone to take responsibility, personal responsibility. Students, parents, teachers, principals. I understand you're no longer using the term uh, no child left behind. Is Correct. that true? Is that Correct. true? So you're fine with leaving children behind? I'm not fine. I just want to get that on record. I'm not fine with leaving children behind. No Child Left Behind did a pretty good job articulating the problem. I'm much more focused on the solutions. How do we make sure every child has a great teacher? How do we get our best teachers working in historically underserved communities, rural, inner city, urban? How do we raise expectations for everyone? At the end of the day, how do we make sure that every high school graduate is college ready and career ready? That's what this is about. Start okay. raising the bar for the country. Okay. okay, here's what I don't get. Okay. I already graduated from high school. I already graduated from college. I'm done, okay? <laughs> Why do I care about education anymore? What's in it for me? I'll tell you what's in it for you. We know your viewers are some of the smartest folks around. Absolutely. I tell them what to think <laughs> and how to feel. You want more viewers, but you get more viewers when you do a better job of educating students. As we, as we better educate, more folks watch your show. As more folks watch the show, advertisers pay you more. The advertisers pay you more, you get rich. This is all about you. I'm working for you. I've never been such a fan of education before. <laughs> I'm not sure what it is about what you just said that I like so much. It was the money part. But education itself, education itself seems um, socialist to me. <laughs> First of all, it's about uh, class. And, and the word school and the word uh, socialist have some letters in common. <laughs> if my kids are getting a good education in a private school, why, as a taxpayer, should I pay money to a public school? You know, aren't those kids just going to compete with my kids? Shouldn't I get my kids ahead and then once my kids have landed a place <laughs> in the world, then start paying for public schools? Uh, That's Darwin. <laughs> I'll tell you where our competition is. Our competition is not between your children in a private school and children in a public school. Our, children's between, our competition is with the rest of the world. And our competition is either we're going to invest in education early or we're going to keep building jail cells at the back end. And so I'd much rather you invest early on, do the right thing by children. We're going to pay now or pay later in a much, a much worse situation. This is the right investment to make. And if you think education is expensive, try ignorance. What, what, now what about... Hold on, hold on. I'll, I'll, I'll nail him eventually. What, what about this shortening the summer for the kids? It seems like young people are the last bastion of Obama support. Do you really want to alienate them too? 
I got to tell you, when I talk about lengthening the school year, I often do get booed by students. But let me tell you why this is so important. I don't worry about middle class children who are going to the library every day, going to fancy summer camps. I worry about a lot of children who are on the streets during the summer, who fall behind. We know about summer reading loss. We don't need any more studies. We know a lot of our children get to a certain point in June where teachers have worked really hard, and they come back to school in September, and they're further behind than when they left. That's absolutely heartbreaking. Our students need to be engaged during the summer, on the weekends, longer hours. I think our schools should be open not just a longer day, but our schools should be community centers, open 12, 13, 14 hours a day, activities for parents, GED classes, ESL classes, family literacy nights, healthcare clinics. When schools are really the centers of the neighborhood and the heart of the community, our students are going to do very, very well. Our school calendar is based upon the agrarian economy. There are not too many children working in the fields these days. And uh, we, we need to, you know, six hours a day, five days a week, nine months a year. That's sort of a, you know, a bygone era. Doesn't, doesn't exist anymore. Well, good luck with this program. Good luck with the reform because it sounds like there's cash in it for me. There is. Thank you so Arnie much. Arnie Duncan, thank you so much. U.S. Secretary of Education, Arnie Duncan. I woke up and wished that I was dead with an aching in my head. I lay motionless in bed I thought of you And where you'd gone Let the world spin by And everything that I said I'd do Like make the world brand new Take the time for you I just got lost and step right through the door And the world spins round James Lowen wrote Lies My Teacher Told Me, which is a just absolutely brilliant book. And he has a new book out teaching what really happened, how to avoid the tyranny of textbooks and get students excited about doing history. Um, in, this, in this hour, I want to get into how, how we can fix our schools, how we can make schools that work. How can, how can we educate a generation of kids who, who won't just uh, march in lockstep and believe nonsense from uh, nonsensical non-TV channels and things? James Lowen, welcome to the show. It's not only nonsense, it's so boring. <laughs> well, and that's that's part of the problem. Yeah, you, you argue in your book that the history textbooks are just deadly boring, and, and there's no doubt about that. And, and you talk about some of the ways the teachers can, can make the classroom more interesting, and that's, that's powerful stuff, too. One of the things that I found in your book that really startled me was the way that SAT tests are... Uh, carry carry an implicit bias, and that it wasn't that nasty people decided that they were going to skew the questions so that they would uh, benefit uh, middle class white kids or or wealthy white kids, but that's exactly what happened because when they put the test together to find out if the tests really worked and were any good, they did their initial calibration, essentially, of the test with middle-class white kids. And so um, in antonym studies uh, or synonym studies, words that have Hispanic or have Spanish or Portuguese or other Latin-based language um, uh, antonyms or, or synonyms, well, I forget the word that you were using, um, would cause the Hispanics to score better than the middle-class white kids Whereas other words like pallid versus ashen, um, palito is a Spanish word, right? Yep. <laughs> and and so 
but the white kids didn't do as well. So that question doesn't appear on the SAT. And similarly, I mean, let me just read a sentence here from your book that, that just, you know, popped this thing for me that, uh, I, that I, want my, I want my listeners to hear. He said, for the same reason, no item on which girls outscore boys is likely to make it into the mathematics part of the SAT. The wrong people, girls, who have lower overall test scores in the math test would get it right. I found that simply by setting a math item in a girls' camp caused girls to outperform boys on it by a narrow margin. In other words, Lawrence Summers was wrong? Yeah, well, I think he maybe was. Um, now, it, it's interesting. If you can um, influence how boys and girls do simply by, I mean, let, uh, let's suppose you have a, um, well, the question on which boys do the best uh, relative to girls. They outscore boy, uh, girls by a whole lot. Right. Is a question like this. Um, uh, the, well, I'll pick a, a team not quite at random. The Boston Celtics, uh, expected to win the NBA, uh, are only 50 50 uh, after 40 games have been played. Assuming that 96 games are going to be played, uh, what do they have to, how many do they have to win in order to wind up at 75%, let's say, right. which is a winning total? Okay. Well, that's that's a kind of an arithmetic problem. You could also use algebra to solve it. It's not very hard. But um, well, I'm going to badmouth him. My own son, who's terrible at math, would get that question right because he's familiar with sports scores. He's way into sports, and he's used to. He's comfortable with it. Then, on the other hand, if you set us the same kind of pro, uh, using the same kind of math skills in a girls' camp. And, you know, girls are doing the following, and then what, what percentage do they have to do? Then girls outscore boys. Well, that shows that something is going on that is not basic math competence, probably. It's probably just more having to do with anxiety about math. Right. So, so our testing system is screwed up, <laughs> basically. Well, it is. It is. And, 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 and our textbooks thing. are screwed up. Let and me say there's another thing wrong with it, which is that um, it just, especially in history, it just tests twigs. You know, we, we have these uh, idiotic um, – many states have instituted them with, as a part of Nickleby, No Child Left Behind. Right. Now, No Child Left Behind didn't actually specify that you have to have multiple choice tests. They didn't even specify you have to have any tests in a given field like history. Um, and so what, what the states could have done and what Rhode Island and a couple of other states did do is they could have set up an interesting test that requires students to do things like make a five-minute speech, uh, write a 10-minute coherent essay that uses some of these uh, uh, sources and doesn't use some other sources, um, etc. But no, instead, too many states just go with this dreary multiple-choice test. Columbus came over in 1491, 2, 3, or 4. Right. The, the big picture here is that our school systems don't work, that our, the testing system doesn't work, that, that the, the, the entire thing is broken, and it's broken in large part. Um, I, I noticed that you don't mention Horace Mann in, in your index. Uh, I always saw him as one of the real villains in this, because in the late 1880s, he was out promoting public education to corporations as a way to create an organized workforce, and he envisioned schools as places where students would be trained to sit in one place and do one thing repetitively so that they would become good workers.
workers. And, uh, I mean, his idea of education was a little bizarre. It was totally anti-Socratic. And, uh, you know, our school system in large part came about because of Horace Mann. But it's gotten even worse with this, you know, let's tell Jim Jim Jeffords, who was the uh, senator from Vermont when I was in Vermont, uh, had the congressional... um, research agency do a study on No Child Left Behind. This is what caused him to leave the Republican Party. And he shared that study with me when I was in for a book I was writing. And that study found that the primary effect of No Child Left Behind, the primary effect of No Child Left Behind, would be that a $100 million a year school testing industry would become a $2 billion a year industry oh, over a 10-year no. period. No, no consequence on academic outcomes. Uh-huh. The, primary, the, primary, the primary outcome of No Child Left Behind was that there was $2 billion to be made in testing because, um, because standardized tests would be, could be sold and they would become an intellectual property and all this kind of thing. And, of course, one of George Bush's brothers was in the educational testing business and uh, made out very well with that. Neil Bush, uh, thank yep. you very much. Yep. So here we are. We're talking with James Lowe and his book, Teaching What Really Happened. And how to avoid the tyranny of textbooks and get students excited about doing history? We were, uh, James. We were we were talking this morning, or Jim. We were talking this morning about, um, the, you know, the whole Columbus story, and uh, how the idea of why did Europe? Why was Europe successful in basically colonizing the entire planet uh, during the the 18th and 19th centuries? Uh, is never asked in schools. And therefore, assumptions of white racial superiority become uh, commonplace. And, 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 and you talked about, about syncretism. In the minute we have left, can you riff a little bit about, about how, about syncretism? Sure. Syncretism is putting together ideas from uh, two or more different cultures and making something new out of them. And Europe, of course, did this when it when it uh, mounted uh, guns and cannons with on on sailing ships that could sail against the wind with uh, close order drill trained soldiers and so on. And this is the kind of thing that enabled them to take over the island. And these all came from different cultures. The guns came, the yeah. cannons came from China. The with the, the sails came from the Arabians. That's uh, right. It all and, and some of the ideas came from Northern Europe, but most of them are from all, all kinds of other places. If I told you the secret, you won't tell so well you hold it keep it alive. You can now support this podcast as easily as by shopping online. The next time you need to make a purchase of just about anything, simply visit bestofleft.com and use our Amazon.com search box to find what you're looking for. The search box is located right on the side of the website. You can't miss it. When you make your purchase, we get a little commission. It's just another effortless, completely free way for you to help keep the show going strong. Thanks for your support. He's also the co-chair of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, to which he devotes most of his time now. His annual foundation letter released today outlines the foundation's goals for 2010. Please welcome back to the program, Bill Gates. Nice to see you again. Great. This This is exciting. I just found out, and this may not be true, that you are Twittering. When, when did you start Twittering? Last week. What? 
<laughs> when you Twitter, do you have to type or can you just think it? <laughs> and have it just appear on computers? I type, but you can only type 140 characters. Uh, so you, you like to refer to people with very short names. And that's all you do? Mm -hmm. have, you, have you Twittered a lot? How many do, do you... Uh, I think I've done about 10 now. How many followers do you have? Uh, <laughs> how many do you have? I don't, I don't Twitter. I'm busy. Where, where have you been? <laughs> no, should I Twitter? Is it, is it interesting? Because it seems like you're a guy working on so many things. You're chairman of Microsoft. You've got your foundation. I would think the, the, the Twitter would not be part of your, your day. Well, the idea is to take things I'd send email on where I've met an interesting scientist or been on an interesting trip and just take that and put it in that format. We'll see if it works. I mean, I'm, I'm new to it. Uh, so far, so good. No, no topless photos. I don't want to see that. I want you just strict, strictly business on your Twitter account. Now, what about, are you running the day-to-day -day of Microsoft or are you just focusing mostly on your uh, uh, foundation? What's, I'm what's... full-time on the foundation. That's my primary work. I'm a, a board member at Microsoft, but uh, learning about vaccines and better seeds and uh, improving education, that's my full-time work. And what, when did the switch, uh, uh, switch 18 over? 18 months ago uh, was my, essentially my retirement, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. You know, I get to travel around, and it's, it's as, as much fun as, as any job I've ever had. That's really exciting. And, and are you, you feel unburdened now, not having to, to deal with Microsoft? Now you can have an iPhone? I mean, all the things <laughs> that you could never do before? Don't you think? Uh, I'm a very loyal Microsoft user. <laughs> uh, thanks for mentioning Zoom earlier. Uh, <laughs> I see you had the feedback stage, all right. <laughs> well, uh, what is the foundation's goal now? What, f for you now, what's the main goal? Is it, is it poverty? Is it, are you just working on all these different things at once? Well, we've taken, on a global basis, the greatest injustice, which is uh, not, have, not being able to grow enough food and the health problems, and so we spend on that. And then here in the U.S., we've taken the, the thing that we think will make the most difference for the future, which is having a better education system. And so all our money goes... Uh, in those areas. Is it direct aid? Is it more towards uh, innovation? Are they creating virtual schools? You know, is, is it what, is the focus like for food or for poverty, is it direct aid or is it for uh, more for inventions and innovations? Well, for the, for the poor, we're trying to invent new vaccines and get them out there. For education, we're trying to get great courses online that you can just use for free and teachers can learn, students can learn. And we're also trying to experiment to see if you can have a system where teachers get measured and they get more feedback to help improve their average quality. So we have four school districts uh, that have committed over the next several years to try that out. And if it works... Wait, four? Four. Out of... Thousands. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> You're Bill Gates, dude. <laughs> Can't you just buy them cars? No. <laughs> Why is it so difficult to get change in the educational system in our country? That seems to be one of the most intractable systems, uh, either because of uh, uh, the boards that are there or the unions or the... Uh, what, is, what is it about our education system that makes it so difficult to uh, reform? Well, until recently, there was no room for experimentation. And charter schools came in, although there are only a few percent of the schools, and they tried out new models. And a lot of those have worked, not all of them, but that format 
uh, showed us uh, some very good ideas. And among those ideas is that you measure teachers, you give them more feedback. And, but people are afraid you'd put in a system that will fire the wrong person or have high overhead, and that's a legitimate fear. So actually having some districts where it works and then getting the 90% of the teachers who liked it, who thrived, who did improve, to share that might allow us to, to switch, not have uh, capricious things, but really uh, help but people get better. Don't public uh, uh, things like schools and, and, and medical care need to have the power to fail, need to fire the wrong person every now and again. It's never going to be perfect. Aren't people's expectations of what it's supposed to be so precious that you never get change in the positive direction? That's right, but you have to have a measure, and it's very tough to agree on a measure. You know, right now the health system rewards the person who just does more treatment, so it's quantity of output, not right. the kind of preventative care. And measuring and say, okay, you do that well, or you teach this kid really well, uh, we haven't been able to agree on that. And without that, it's a problem. But uh, What's more intractable in your mind? Uh, coming up with a robot that can love? <laughs> or fixing uh, uh, these problems that you get? Because you seem energized by it, but it seems, it seems deep. It's hard. You know, there's days I think coming up with new vaccines for things like malaria in some ways is more straightforward than a, a personnel Systemic system that everybody's right. going to uh, feel great about. Do they have robots that can love now, or is that not? N not. Will that happen? Well, they uh, love Can I, one? Can love I marry you? one? Can I yes. <laughs> Now, that, that's asking for a little too much. All right. Well, it's very nice to have you back. Now, last time when I said, Bill Gates, everybody, you got up and you ran off. I want you to stay until the commercial, and then we'll, we'll chat while people applaud. Yeah, I feel better. I was headed towards the Colbert show, so. Why, uh... <laughs> I Bill Gates, everybody. The things we've done together. tonight says that education is a civil rights issue, except in Texas, where textbooks don't mention civil rights. Please welcome the Reverend Al Sharpton. Reverend, thank you so much for coming back on. Good to see you again. Nice to see you, Steyonce. a little while. Steyonce, you think that's going to catch on? Don't tell Jay-Z. Yeah. I promise. All right. I, now, I don't think he'll get you confused. I, me and Beyonce? Yeah. I think I might have a bigger butt. Okay. All right. Now, sir, Remember you, are, you said that. Oh, yeah, I do. I, I, I say it every morning in the mirror. Now, <laughs> sir, you're, you're, you're uh, one of the founders of the National Action Network, founder and president. Um, you are working with Newt Gingrich right now on a, uh, a new action, to, to tell the people what you're working on about education. Well, what happened is that uh, President Obama met with Newt Gingrich and I last May, 
because the one thing Luke Gingrich and I agree on, and that's uh, probably the only thing, is that education is a civil right. The education in this country, the challenge with 37 among developed countries in education, the gap between students, uh, uh, black and Hispanic and white is four grades. We need to really work on building a real educational environment of excellence in this country. And we came together with the president, and he challenged us to go on tour together, and we've done five cities with education secretary. You hang Duncan. out with New Gingrich? No, I've toured with New Gingrich. <laughs> but uh, how's the tour bus? Is it crazy? Well, I'm on your show, and I don't hang out with you. Well, then I guess I'll cancel the party for after the show. <laughs> now, sir, um, well, how important scrabble. is education? How important is education really? Because people, people uh, often ask me, sometimes audience members will ask me, who, who's the smartest guy you've ever met? And I say, I don't know if he's the smartest guy I've ever met, but I got to tell you who impresses me, and that is Al Sharpton. Well, but you don't have higher education. No. You got I, a, you I, education on the streets, my friend, education in your church. Why can't we just give that to children and forget about the books? <laughs> Isn't there sort of a tyranny? Isn't there a tyranny in this country that everything's got to be out of a book and you got to do what the teacher says? Why can't you let these kids just fly, be free? See, this is exhibit A, why we need education. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. I'll take that as an agreement. And absolutely. I myself know, I dropped out of college. I know myself every day the regrets I have in not pursuing my degree going well, you've further. You've done very well, sir. But, but how many people that came out of the same neighborhood I did, that had the same background I did, was able to make without an education? Most of my friends ended up in jail or dead. I want to make sure that doesn't happen to the next generation. That's why we've got to fight and make education equal for everybody. All right. You're a Democrat, correct? Correct. How are you going to handle the teachers' unions? Because you're talking about holding teachers' feet to the fire over performance, and teachers' unions don't want that, sir. The question is not how we're going to handle the teachers or the principals. The question is how everyone's going to handle the kids. We keep addressing education for everyone but the students. Education should be about how we educate the students, not how we protect principals, teachers, administrators. All of them need to be protected. They all have rights, but they have the right to educate the students. But how do you change, how, how do you change it? I mean, it doesn't seem like, are you going to have to take chances if you do something like that? Right now, we've got a system, you know, it may be broken, but at least we know how it works. Are you, so we know how a broken system works. Exactly. Yeah, broken. Exactly. That's how it works. It woke, It works in a broken manner. But you say, what you, you say try yourself to do is fix that you're going to have to take risks. You're gonna have to, that's the risky schools that make progress. The risky schools. On our tour, we saw the, the, the schools that use more discipline, that were more stern, that set standards. Secretary Duncan and, and Gingrich and I saw that if you step outside of the box, you might fix something. If you keep playing with the same broken stuff, it will only be more broken. Last question. Global warming, yes or no? Are you with the climatologists or the meteorologists? Spell it. 
You win. <laughs> the Reverend Al Sharpton. Hi, everyone. Now, running this podcast is an absolute passion of mine that I've been pursuing for years. But, of course, everyone understands that it takes a little bit of money to get along in this world. And that's where the members come in. Members sign up and donate as little as $5 a month, which allows me to pump out 10 episodes per month now. So while you're thinking about that and rationalizing that little expense, just realize it breaks down to only 50 cents per episode, and it's even less if you sign up for a full year. And beyond that, in return, you get access to a set of members-only raw feeds, and these deliver audio plus video clips from the show as well as a separate feed just for bonus content that would otherwise end up on the cutting room floor. So for details, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks for your support. Texas, obviously conservative state. And now the school board in Texas is thinking about changing the state curriculum so students don't have to learn about civil rights leaders, and they also don't have to learn about Thomas Jefferson. They don't, why don't they want to teach them about civil rights leaders? They don't want to teach them about civil rights leaders because they don't feel that they are important figures in social studies. Okay? Okay. But they do feel that John Calvin is a very important figure in social studies. But, you know, the third president of the United States isn't. We should just erase him out of our textbooks and not think about him at all. John Calvin of the Calvinists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, because there's so many Calvinists now in the United <laughs> States of America. We're just we're getting overrun with Calvinists. <laughs> yeah. I, I, look, this story enrages me, and it amazes me, too, that they think that they can do this and get away with it. They are going to do this, and they are going to get away with it. But it amazes me that nothing's going to be done to stop it. Because how can you f just forget about the third president of the United States, the Declaration of Independence? How do you forget about any of that? Who, whose idea was it? And why, why would anyone not want to teach Thomas Jefferson? What's their objection to their, Thomas Their objection to Thomas Jefferson is the fact that and he was He didn't was own for... enough slaves, that he was, that he was worried about the slaves. He owned slaves. But it, he was conflicted about it, so they don't want it. They only want slave owners who were really like into it. If you weren't totally into it, or that he slept with one of his slaves, they don't want that. Right. Well, they definitely don't like the fact that he was for the separation of church and state. Oh. That was. I like it that they're at least admitting that. They're not admitting that, but that's the obvious reason. Oh, you think so? Yeah, because okay, let's get rid of Thomas Jefferson. You know, the guy who wasn't really for church and state but being they, connected. But, but, you know, let's replace him with John Calvin, you know, the pastor during the Protestant uh, reform. Really? Well, I mean, but the thing of it is, all the founding fathers, not all, most of the founding fathers mm -hmm. were for the separation of church and state. Right. I mean, it's not like Thomas Jefferson was the only one. That's why it's in the Constitution. No, 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 but these, these guys are clowns. Yeah, I mean, well, they, they've they made... Get let, the argument with let me give you examples, okay? Right. So they got rid of uh, certain civil rights leaders like Dolores Huerta. She was the co-founder of the United uh, Farm Workers of America. They got rid of her because they claim that she's she a socialist. She guest on the Young Turks. She was a guest on the Young Turks? That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So uh, they got rid of her because they claim that, you know, she's a socialist. We don't want her in our textbooks. However, they kept Helen Keller on who is a socialist, who's a staunch socialist. Helen Keller's a socialist? Yeah. Well, don't mention her name. <laughs> uh, we don't, don't mention her name's a socialist, yeah. <laughs> so, they're clowns. 
They're insane. So uh, Dolores Huerta, but I mean, whatever. I mean, I would say I don't know what, what, where in uh, the Texas. It's the the state of Texas. The state of Texas. And what's interesting about this story... Which has, a, like, a gigantic uh, Latino population, yes, too. Right? Yes, so, that's exactly what I was about right. to say. So they're totally ignoring their Hispanic population, mm -hmm. okay? Totally forgetting must, about like, their civil rights leaders. bother you, I would think. Oh, it totally bothers me. You know how I am with the Hispanics. Right. <laughs> you love the Latino man. Right, yeah. But, I, no, and this is just a huge deal. Because right now, uh, the Obama administration wants to leave curriculum up to the states. Yeah. So the federal government will have no say in it, which I... Which I think has always been the case. I mean, generally, mm -hmm. that's the, 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 I mean... But when it comes to standardized testing, that's a federal thing. Right. There are certain there are certain requirements that are enforced by. They're not so the being government. so foolish as to like leave out like Martin Luther King, right? They're not going to. No, make... not Martin Luther King, but Cesar Chavez. That they're planning on getting rid of him too. Um, so they're just losing all the Latinos. Like pretty the, much. Pretty yeah. much the right. Any Thurgood Luther... Marshall. I mean, they got to strike the African Americans a little bit. They're losing Thurgood Marshall. Yes. The first black justice of the Supreme Court. Yes. Like the guy who argued for Brown versus Board of Education. Yes. Like the landmark civil rights case that desegregated the schools. I believe that's Mr. Marshall. Yes, it is. <laughs> are they going to teach the case, and they're just not going to mention who argued it? I highly doubt they're going to teach the case. They're going to mention Brown versus Board of Education. <laughs> are they going to mention the word Brown? <laughs> that's going to be taken out of all the textbooks. No Brown, no Black, just White. Wow. Okay. Well, they are clowns. Well, see things like this, and maybe I think I'm I'm a little too black. <laughs> it's probably one. That's probably one issue. Yeah. But when, whenever decisions like this are made, and because I'm not in this situation, because I don't have kids, because I don't live in Texas with kids in elementary school, or whatever age this is gonna affect primarily, um, I'm like, well, you know what? Let the ignorant people purposely be ignorant. They set themselves up for any kind of disaster. Although a lot, of, uh, that's the thing. That's why it's a, I think it's wrong for me to say it, because of course everyone doesn't agree with this. It's just what the schools are setting up, and they're gonna hurt other people. And basically, you know, you're going to take out uh, meaningful things and put in bullshit so they don't know anything anymore. Mm -hmm. And really, it's going to hinder them in their life yeah. when, when, they don't, when they're, you, they're not prepared for anything. You can't let them do it. You can't let them do it because they're kids. And you got to protect, you know, you can't, you, can't let these, you can't let these folks get away with screwing up an entire generation of kids because you pay for it down the road because these kids then, you know, I mean, it, they'll kill Texas's, you know, long-term damage. It kills Texas's economy, kills a generation of kids coming out of college, and it just it slows everything down. I mean, one reason why we're getting our ass kicked by India and China is because we can't educate people correctly. And, you know, I mean... Obviously, this is a small cog in our ability to do that, but I mean, part of it begins with not having uh, the right, uh, so I mean, allowing, what's the word I'm looking for here, uh, the ass clowns, um, uh, make decisions like this uh, about education. And it's when you let sort of, uh, you know, uh, political n neophytes, it's like the Bush administration's decision to rebuild Iraq with 22-year-olds who went to either Bob's College and Grill, or I'm sorry, Bob's Bible College and Grill, or, I don't know, Dartmouth, and go to Iraq and run the government.
-hmm. like these 22-year-olds with, you know, uh, uh, pleated uh, uh, dockers and navy blue blazers and were really strong and I were really excited to go work at the Republican convention in 2004. Mm -hmm. And then we were there and like, oh, okay, meow. here's what we're going to do with the money and we are going to rebuild Iraq. You know, instead uh -huh. of like 57-year-old Middle East experts mm -hmm. who maybe thought that uh, we can't have Ahmed Chalabi come in and lead Iraq because uh, he's been in uh, Europe for 30 years um, and uh, they won't trust him. And it's the same kind of nonsense decision making here where you think Dolores Huerta is a socialist. Yeah, first of all, and? Right. Like, okay, maybe she is a socialist. What do you think the problem is there? And also, what's what's wrong about teaching the meaning of socialism in schools and Marxism? These are yeah, things that I learned when I was in high school, and it was just part of the curriculum. So, so when you're out in the real world and someone comes to you and they're talking about uh, socialism or Marxism, you know what they're talking about. Change English traditional replaced to be new syntax. The Onion Radio News, it's Redland Oil Lime. The U.S. Grammar Secretary that no more will rules English follow announced today. The changes verbs, verb clauses, and adjectives placing involved frequent with random shuffling or elimination conjunctions and prepositions of. Grammar Secretary to according. Is new structure loosely on obscure 800-year-old pre-medieval Anglo-Saxon uh, syntax based. This week beginning, America across all dictionaries, highway signs, and other books or objects riding upon revised to fit new syntax will be. The Onion Radio News is this. Sometimes I rhyme slower, sometimes I rhyme quick. I'm sweeter and thicker than a chico stick. Here's an ice cream cone, honey, take the lick. I'll go to Bay Plaza and catch a flick. Want my Timberland boots so I can stop the ticks. Scandalous, get a whiff for this miss. Just left the yard, boy, now I'm blessed. I feel good, per se, good state of mind. Drive a red sterling and the seats recline. I love it when a late tea treats me kind. Go to tavern on the green and have a glass of wine. He say, she say, I heard it through the Socrates said, true knowledge exists in knowing that you know nothing. By those standards, I'm the smartest man in the world. And also, who's Socrates? This is Stephen Colbert's Eyes on Education. Hey, fellas, it's March. That means it's time for the year's most exciting television event. Say it with me. The Texas School Board hearings. Why did you say it with me? <laughs> and nation, this year, the stakes could not be higher. 
The Texas hearings are important because that state is one of the largest purchasers of textbooks in the country. And as a result, textbook pub publishers cater their materials to Texas's guidelines. You see, Texas school board decisions affect school systems across the country. That's why most sex ed books have chapters on the reproductive system, abstinence, and how to castrate a steer. <laughs> so, this battle is not just about Texas. It decides which historical figures all of our children will be drawing mustaches and eye patches on. <laughs> now, <laughs> Benjamin Wanken, now, the Texas school board isn't afraid to take controversial stances. Last year, they passed an amendment that forces science teachers to recognize those parts of the fossil record that don't fit neatly with evolution, like the recently discovered evidence of a woolly mammoth vacuum cleaner. <laughs> now, this session, the board was set to break even more educational ground, including mandating students learn about the unintended consequences of LBJ's Great Society program and requiring that the history of McCarthyism include how the later release of the Venona Papers confirms suspicions of communist infiltration in the U.S. government. It also requires that any passage describing Joe McCarthy's sweaty jowls be changed to glistening neck pouch. Well... Folks, last Friday, the conservatives won. And I will let board member Ken Mercer tell you what that means. American exceptionalism is back. Yes, American exceptionalism is back, which I believe means that American students will be taught everything except what this guy takes exception to. <laughs> but the biggest victory of all, folks, was that in the curriculum on great revolutionary thinkers, Board members removed any reference to Thomas Jefferson, author of the Declaration of Independence. You see, Jefferson coined the term separation of church and state. So Texas has coined the term separation of Jefferson and history. <laughs> Folks, an important battle has been won, but plenty of liberal textbooks are still out there. Like this one, Give Me Liberty by Eric Foner one of the most popular textbooks in the nation. I would love to see this guy answer for his liberal crimes. Here to answer for his liberal crimes, please welcome textbook author and Columbia University professor, Eric Foner. <laughs> professor Foner, thank you so much. Get this, get this stuff off here for you. Thank you. Now, sir, I would like to approach this interview like a pop quiz. Would you mind? Not at all. You're starting off with 100. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Question number one, has the Texas school board done the right thing? Uh, definitely not. You Absolutely have a 90 not. now. You all just right. lost 10 points. <laughs> Fine. Okay, your, your GPA is in your hands. Um, what did they do wrong by selectively editing history? Well, they decided that they only wanted students to learn what they think they ought to learn in terms of current Politics. In other words, they, they identify conservatives in the past who students should learn about, which is fine, and then they eliminate Absolutely. right, and then they eliminate people from the past who they don't agree with. Well, but that, 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 that's how it works. The no. winners, the winners write history, and right now conservatism mm. is winning. So why shouldn't they get to write what history is? Well, they can write, but uh, the problem is they're giving students a completely misleading view of American history. Oh, and yours books. doesn't. 
Your book is a complete, complete view of American history. Yes, that's this isn't it is. liberal. Is there anything about conservatives in your book? Well, there's a whole chapter uh, called "The Triumph of Conservatism." Oh, you yes. should like that. I read that chapter. How do you you like mentioned you mentioned things like Oliver North and the Iran Contra hearing, mm, right. but there's not one mention of Oliver North's hit Fox News show. <laughs> <laughs> so, isn't it an incomplete history? Well, all history is going to be incomplete. Because do you even know you the can't... name of Mr. North's Fox News show? No, I don't. I don't. Neither do I. Right. <laughs> so we're even there. We're there. Now I've got a 90. I've got a 90. Okay. So, um, aren't they trying to give their students a moral education by selectively telling them how they should picture America? Because there's some things in American history that maybe we don't want kids to know about. Well, the, the problem is they think that America began perfect and has been getting better ever since. So there's oh, no really? Point. What's your view of there's... America, comrade? My view, my view is that we have struggled over time to try to make this a better country and that we ought to celebrate in the past the people who worked hard to overcome the injustices in our past. But the Texas School Board is trying to eliminate any discussion of some of these injustices, which gives students a completely misleading picture of what American history has been. But if we don't study, if we fail to study some parts of history, what is the worst that could happen? We would be ignorant, and uh, I think a person who doesn't know history uh, or a society that doesn't know history is like a person with no memory. You can function without a memory, but it, uh, it, it's not really so good, especially if you're trying to find out how the past might be affecting the present and the future. They, they say that those who, 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 who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. But if you change what history was, doesn't that solve that problem? <laughs> <laughs> the history... I'm afraid our interview is history. Professor Boner, thank you so much for joining me. The book is Give Me Liberty. The man is Eric Boner. We'll be right back. My baby don't mess around because she loves me so and this I know for sure. But does she really wanna but can't stand to see me walk out the door? Can't stand to fight the feeling Cause the thought alone is killing me right now I thank God for mom and dad For sticking two together Cause we don't know how Our nation's policymakers are preoccupied with one question above all others. How to tell if a hooker is secretly a man. <laughs> you don't want to lay out good money, get him back to your apartment, and then find out she doesn't have a penis. Who's with me? <laughs> St. Patty's Day crowd. But a strong second is whether our government should be under strong federal control or whether most decisions should be left to the states. Luckily in education, Americans enjoy the best of both worlds. Our school standards are under the strong centralized control of one state. Texas is one of the largest buyers of textbooks in the country, and the ones it buys are usually used by many public schools across the country. See, that's how America works. <laughs> Whatever state buys the most of something, gets to call the shots. It's the reason New Jersey's State Board of Health 
dictates national standards on champagne and condoms. <laughs> I, I grew up there. <laughs> Last week, 15 people in the Lone Star State finished their big 10-year review of curriculum controlling the information that students around the country are supposed to read. Let's meet the board. This is Ken Mercer, conservative member of our Texas State Board of Education. Hi, Ken. <laughs> you seem nice. History tells us that when a conquering army comes in, the first thing they do is eliminate any conservative opposition. <laughs> what the f are you talking about, Ken? <laughs> the first thing that history tells us is the uh, conquerors just come in and eliminate whoever's in their way. They're conquerors. <laughs> When the Spanish came to Mexico, they weren't looking for conservatives. They were looking for Mayans. <laughs> Who runs this board? Don McElroy is a chipper suburban dentist, a former college cheerleader, and a self-described Christian fundamentalist. Oh. There's nothing in that description that suggests he wouldn't be a reasonable evaluator of curriculum other than the dentist part. He sounds just like our last president. Somebody's got to stand up to experts Wow, he's just like our last president. <laughs> anyway, that's dentist Don McElroy telling you that someone's got to stand up to experts, really. So, doctor, you think brushing keeps your teeth healthy? I think rubbing chocolate on them does. I, I guess we'll just have to teach the controversy. So how does this group... This group work. Let's take the case of one Oscar Romero. He was an Archbishop of El Salvador in the 70s. He often spoke out against poverty and social injustice. He was killed by right-wing death squads in 1980. An expert panel proposed that Romero be included on a list of people who fought oppression. You're putting him with Nelson Mandela and Mahatma Gandhi and the Chinese student protesters of which Everyone is already familiar. I just think that it's one of those names that I guarantee you, most of you did not know who Oscar Romero was. So your argument is, we shouldn't teach people this because no one knows it. All right. A second step in the process. Once we put out our objections, the second step of the process is to give a full hearing to any objections. I still have to give some deference to the work group members who at least made this recommendation and came forward with, with it. So there seems to be some reason that they believe that that was important. They obviously did or they wouldn't have put it in there. I just happen to think it's not. Okay. So reasons for including Romero in a history book would include he's a leading example of someone who stood up to oppression. He's an important figure in Latin American history, and the panel of experts tasked with updating the curriculum think he should be in there, and the reasons against were that lady didn't think he was famous enough. <laughs> Will her amendment prevail? All those in favor of Ms. Hardy's amendment, please signify by raising your hand. The amendment carries. Well, get your asses on the Texas Board of Curriculum then. And that is how Oscar Romero got disappeared by right-wingers for the second time.
Thanks for listening, everyone. Now, I'm pretty excited about the end of this show because I get to respond to a really interesting comment that was left on the blog for episode 349, the one totally dedicated to the Catholic Church scandal. So this is what Christine had to say uh, in, in the comments on the blog. In, in, this is in its entirety, unedited, just so you know. Love the show and appreciate that you do it, but was slightly offended by calling this one a gay sex scandal and using a picture of a pride flag for the podcast. This was more than the gay prostitution ring scandal. It was also a child molestation scandal. And the last thing we need is to further encourage people to associate gays with pedophiles, particularly since pedophiles are more likely to be strayed. Sorry to only finally comment to complain, but being gay, I'm hyper aware of how stigmatized as a group we are. And I know enlightened people such as yourself do not want to further contribute to it. And I just got to say, the first time I read that, I was I, like, I sat straight up and was stunned by it. I, I couldn't believe the extent to which these types of concerns never even came close to crossing my mind, you know, during the production or the post-production of that show and having the gay pride flag linked with the Vatican in conjunction with this episode would then be linking all gays with pedophilia. It just like never even came close. And so, yeah, she's absolutely right. Uh, I, I certainly consider myself enlightened and, uh, and don't want to further contribute to, to making that false link. But, you know, it was just, I, I just found it really interesting because for me being not at all hyper aware of, of this situation, as she just described, I was thinking of it kind of in terms of, uh, I, th I think the way maybe the Young Turks described as when you put people in a situation where they're not allowed to have sex, that is, first of all, doomed to, to disaster, first of all. And then on top of that, you put them in charge of other people. You give them, you know, basically ultimate authority over people, especially kids. It's, it's an absolute disastrous situation. And from that, you know, the, the religion there being the core of the story, the core of that, that episode in particular, then from that, you get people acting out in you know, gay sex, straight sex, and pedophilia, all of which is not allowed under the religious doctrine. So, so for me, kind of religion was at the core and sex in all of its manifestations, uh, legal and illegal, came from that. But the difference being for me that each of these different types of sex were not really related to each other. They were all just related to the church. So for me, when I use that, the image that I did at the, the big gay pride flag with the Vatican, the first thing I will say is I absolutely didn't put any thought into it. I really didn't, you know, this this little uh, debate or, or whatever never even crossed through my mind. It's not like I made a decision on it and said, yeah, you know, I'm, that that's the way to go. So first of all, I didn't think about it at all. Second, you know, the, the idea was really just to link the two, saying, you know, here here's the Vatican all in its gleaming glory, and then here's the giant symbol of what they perceive to be horrible and evil, and, you know, which of course they, uh, you know, either take part in or 
aid to cover up and, and so forth. So, you know, obviously the image never had anything to do with pedophilia in my mind at all. But that's why I found this uh, comment so interesting is that as soon as I read it, I could see so clearly how people would make that connection. And so I was, that's why I was stunned that I hadn't seen it myself before. So to Christine and, and everyone else, I, I even I posted it on uh, on Facebook just to get some more reactions from people. Hey, what did you guys think of this comment? And and you know almost uh, almost entirely supportive of Christine. And frankly, I am too. <laughs> as soon as I heard the comment, I thought, wow, she's totally right about that. So um, you know, I have absolutely no problem saying to you know Christine and everyone else who who felt you know a little bit irked by that. Uh, your suspicions that I didn't really mean it are entirely true. Uh, yeah, it just, uh, it, it never crossed my mind, but you know, obviously no offense was intended, uh, for anyone on that. That's, that's a link that it was so far from my mind. It never even occurred to me to be cautious of it. So, uh, you know, obviously that, that, that was my bad for, uh, for not thinking of that. So that is, that's the fun for today. I just want to thank a couple of members. Chris K signed up for his membership back in, uh, on November 25th and has been uh, sticking with the show ever since. Huge thanks to Chris and, uh, Victoria C, um, hyphen B, uh, signed up on February 26th going, uh, above and beyond the, the regular membership level and, uh, and went ahead and signed up for a full year in advance. So huge thanks to, uh, to Victoria, Chris, all the members who have, you know, ever signed up, they make this show possible and I couldn't be doing it without them. I hope you will all continue to support the show just by telling all of your friends about it. You know, at least, at least get the word out to five people. Uh, I think that's a nice, uh, nice reasonable goal to set. But if you want to go above and beyond that, by all means, if you want to stay connected to the show between episodes, of course, we're on Twitter and Facebook. If you're on Facebook, you could have caught that, uh, that great conversation about the comments today. And then for details on the show, including links to all the sources and music and the occasional great comment left on the blog, all those are in the show notes on the blog at the website. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you 10 times a month thanks to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. My name is Mike. Could I have your ears for a real short rant? This message is totally unsolicited. In fact, the only way you could be hearing my message right now is because Jay heard this very same recording and gave me a little space. So thanks, Jay.
Hey, talk about penny-pinching in this economy. I've whittled down a normal middle-class existence to my current bare-bones income, and I do it on early Social Security retirement. That's 25% less than regular Social Security. $5 is a lot of money to me, but I consider it important enough to give those dollars to Jay every month to further his great program, the twice-weekly Best of the Left podcast. So if you could possibly squeeze a subscription into your budget, do it. Hey, if I can come up with a fiver every month, I think most people can. And if you can't, keep listening. Do those free things that Jay asks you to do, and then subscribe when you can. Thanks.